You are now tuned in to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media. In America, the capitalist system not only makes the people stupid, but keeps them arrogant in their stupidity. This stupidity in the country, this calculated stupidity, affects the African masses more because they read even less than the others. And they need to read more. Our people suffer because they lack knowledge. At this stage of human development, one of the best ways to acquire knowledge indirectly is through reading. Yo, I'm reading this new book, man. Yo, this shit is so deep, yo. Shit got my mind thinking about a whole new other format, man. You know what I'm saying? Fuck a book, man. The book is fucking your head up, man. Yo, when's the last time you read anything, man? Never, motherfucker. Why won't he play throwing? Just act retarded. Cause when you grow single parent poor, that's your place. Don't read too many books, sag your jeans through your face. Chat shit, act thick, practice your backflip. Fuck your motherfucking ass out, flip the cameras. Provide the entertainment for your coachable betters. Men of letters think we could only be smart if they let us. No, knowledge ain't for punks, they market it like it is. Cause who the fuck wants to be cotton from fresh prints? But geeks design the systems, the visions, the politicians, Malthus and the Smiths. We're living in their vision, so knowledge is power. To devour on cowards that showered you with propaganda each and every hour That's why Malcolm never died, it's just another tug on the road A symbol over the globe, cause did you know? The most rebellious thing you can do is get educated Forget what they told you in school, get educated I ain't saying play by the rules, get educated Get educated, get educated, get educated Break the chains of their enslavement, get educated Even if you're on the pavement, get educated What a weapon that your brain is, get educated all right welcome 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 to another edition of conscientization 101 podcast i'm your host james stone A.K.A. the Iconoclast, A.K.A. the Desaline Dream. That's right, baby, Desaline Dream. And uh, we got a great show for you today. Uh, how are you doing over there, my co-host? I'm fine. How are you today? What's your name? Zari. Oh, okay. So are you an editor or are you just snuck in the studio? No, I'm just, I just kind of snuck in the studio. All right, don't worry. All right, that's cool. Sneak in the <laughs> studio. All right. I, I'm a, uh, what do you call it? A squatter. You're a squatter. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of appropriate. We talk about squatters because we're going to be talking about white folks in South Africa yeah, today. Yeah, exactly. Talk the ultimate the, squatter. The ultimate squatter. All right. Today on the show, we are going to be doing a really, really fascinating interview. We interviewed Dr. Julian Cooney, and we talked about his book, Is Apartheid Really Dead? Pan-Africanist Working Class Cultural Perspectives. All right. Julian Cooney, we talked to him. This was a, we're going to play excerpts from this interview. It was a three-hour interview. So it's going to be, a, this is part one of a two-part series. And all I got to say is, Julian Cooney, wait, wait, wait. Before I get more into Julian Cooney and about the show and the highlights of the show, let's go into Dr. Julian Cooney's bio or vitae. Julian Cooney is professor of religious studies classics at the University of Arizona. He is the author of four books, Models of Black Theology, Issues of Class, Culture, and Gender, Is Apartheid Really Dead? Pan-Africanist Working Class Cultural Critical Perspectives, Indigenous Wisdom and Power, Affirming Our Knowledge Through Narratives, with Nomalunjelo Garuka, and his most recent publication, The Cost of Globalization, Dangers to the Earth and Its People. In addition, he has produced two educational DVDs, Umoya, The Spirit in Africa, and Black and Brown, An Afro-Latino Journey, which explores the ancient African presence in Mexico. He produced two DVDs in 2011, aided by Veronica Martinez, We Belong to Mother Earth, Dina Elder, Atali Jones Benelli Speaks, and the Global Indigenous Peoples Performing Arts Festival, 
from Pingtung, Taiwan, following his research visit to Taiwan and China in August 2011. He has delivered papers and lectures at colleges, universities, and communities on six continents. Cooney is currently working on a prison research project that interrogates issues of race, class, and gender, and is geared toward preventing the incarceration of youth, particularly those of oppressed nationalities. He has visited Napierville Correctional Facility in Azania, that's South Africa, and San Quentin Correctional Facility in California for his research. He recently launched the Nayaquery Ecological Restoration and Preservation Project with Samuel Nakeda from Transamara, Kenya. That is concerned with studying the impact of global warming and climate change on the Nakawere Forest Preserve. The project trains students in the areas of ecological sustainability through practical immersion and living in the Nayakari Forest. Over the years and during his tenure as professor and director of Africana Studies at the University of Arizona, Cooney has pioneered and taught courses in Africana philosophy, history, political economy, geography, psychology, history of religions, racism, and social change, and aesthetics of dance. Julian Cooney is an African, originally from Azania, or known in this imperial world as South Africa. All right, now that's just the Vitae. That's just a little, you know, the bio. He's, as you can see, he's very busy, but one of the things we really enjoy doing this interview with uh, Julian is he's a real warm, warm brother, and you can hear the passion in his voice. It's like also he should read audiobooks, don't you think? Yeah, he should. I mean, his voice is just like very commanding. It's like, y'all just got to hear it. Remember, this is an excerpt, and you can get, don't forget, you can get the whole three hours if you get a subscription. Mm -hmm. But um, some of the things you're gonna, we're going to listen to, we're going to talk about in this interview, his book, is uh, for one, we recorded the interview on the 55th anniversary of the Sharpsville Massacre in Anzania, that's South Africa. You don't know nothing but what the imperialists tell you. We, we were connecting the, the struggles of Africans in Anzania all the way to Africans in the diaspora. And we talking, as you can tell, the book is called Pan-Africans Working Class Cultural Critical Perspective. We ain't just talking about Pan-Africanism on the continent. On the continent. It's all Africans, all right? And we also talk about the fallacy of the Freedom Charter, neo-colonialism. And I did say the fallacy of the Freedom Charter, the ANC. That is a neo-colonial party, all right? And also, we're going to be tearing asunder your dreams and hopes and your heroes <laughs> of Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela's Uncle Tom. That's all I got to say. I'm, I, I don't know what I could code it, but y'all thought a Negro in the White House was good. A Negro in the White House was good. And y'all clapped. And y'all clapped. And, you know, hey, that's all I got to say. They cried and clapped. They cried, clapped, slung, snuck. Now I can be, have a good place on the plantation. Yeah, yeah. And Nelson Mandela, I am the same avuncular <laughs> Uncle Tom Negro. I am Nelson Mandela. I am a neo-colonial sellout. I am integration. White people take everything. <laughs> take the land. And you can tell South Africa is still on fire. I'm I'm not really I'm I'm joking, but I'm not really making a light of the situation. This book is a part I really did by Julian Cooney. Oh my goodness. I mean you, I, this book, I mean, all I gotta say is listen to the author. We're gonna get into it with the author. This is part one of a two-part series of a three-hour interview we conducted on March 21st, the 55th anniversary of Sharpsville Massacre. Don't worry, Desaline Dream will come back and get him because you ain't going to be massacring no more of my people. No more I know, in the that's world. that's right. You heard that. But Dr. Cooney, we want to thank you. We're going to do it again. But y'all need to get into this interview. When you hear this interview, you're going to be like, oh my God, I didn't know that. That's mm -hmm. Mandela. Oh, no wonder they made a movie on it. And I just got to say this. Why in the hell would you think America or anything in this Western-dominated world would celebrate a black revolutionary or somebody that's for black people. Now, if you know if the white world, the old Nelson Mandela was such a good Negro, he'd be love him. Have you heard them celebrate George Jackson? Have you heard them celebrate Dessaline? Hell no. Have you heard them talk about the Columbos? No, they want to keep you with Nelson Mandela. And he said he loved everybody. Africa is for everybody except for black folks. But I digress. Let's get into the show with Julian Cooney discussing his book is apartheid really did pan-africanist working class cultural perspectives all right we are here with 
Dr. Professor Julian Cooney. And we are here to talk about this phenomenal book, Is Apartheid Really Dead? Pan-Africanist Working Class Cultural Critical Perspectives. So, uh, how are you doing today, uh, Julian? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hotep, peace. Um, Salam alaikum. And um, Habarigani. <laughs> yes. The spirit of Pan-Africanism and indigenous peoples is good to be here. It's uh, very important to be with conscious African women and men. And I'm very excited to see Conscientization 101 because this is the spirit of young people. I mean, we all are young in one way or another. We're young in the spirit. And it's to see Sister Zari there, um, the compliment. Uh, the women is the core, um, Mother Earth and the spirit of women. So it's good to see uh, Sister Zari there and the brother James. And uh, to see that you have started an organization to conscientize the world, especially African people, about what's really going on in this world. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We Absolutely. Sh- you sure are. We, we so excited. I think I'm, my, my hand is shaking. I'm, let me just go ahead. and st- We have to say this. Listening audience, Zari is a very good managing editor because I probably <laughs> would have wrote every question in the book. She had to come and say, stop that. It's called an interview with Dr. Cooney. He's going to answer the questions. You need to shut up. See, I'm going on right There's now. There's so much in the There's book. There's so much in the book. Okay, let me focus. So, early on in the book, you point to the fact that analysis depicting South Africa, Azania, and I want you to explain Azania, why I say Azania, as a settler colonial republic is not popular. Can you tell the listening audience why this is? The problem is that we live in a Eurocentric world. We live in an insane world, a world that has been constructed artificially based on 500 years of European colonization, conquest, subjugation, genocide. And so the images of, that we have of the world are propagated by this European, so-called Europe. Europe itself is a concept. It's a 200-year concept. In other words, there never used to be Europe, let's say, a thousand years ago. And so we have been forced to imbibe. We have been forced to get drunk. We've been forced to get high on this ideological concept of Europe and the legitimation of Europe and the centrality of, quote, Europe. This tiny, tiny minority of uh, people, of uh, aristocracies coming from Germany, from France, from Britain, from Portugal, from Spain, um, from Belgium, from Holland, from Italy, and so forth. You know, these people coming together, the, the aristocracies of those countries that, opera- that oppressed and colonized and enslaved their own people, then went around the world uh, after stealing gunpowder from the Chinese and turning those into, um, you know, cannons, these machines that um, that are responsible for mass extermination of peoples in wars. So this whole historical process is vital to us understanding settler colonialism. When we look at places like Azania, when we look at places like Namibia, Zimbabwe, Australia, Aotearoa or New Zealand, and the Americas, from the tip of Alaska to the tip of Chile, there were never so-called European people as indigenous people, as the original caretakers, protectors of the land. See, these, all of these indigenous peoples around the world in the places that I've mentioned have been decimated, have been annihilated in the main. If you're looking at Tasmania in the Pacific, for example, you know, virtual total genocide. And that's because these so-called European arist- aristocratic colonizers, these violent marauders, these mortally band of criminals, came into these places, dispossessed the indigenous people, enslaved them in their own lands, and then established these republics 
but it's called the United States of uh, America or Canada or Brazil or what they call the Union Union of South Africa. You know? And uh, I remember there was a brother in Oakland who always used to remind me, Oakland, California, used to say, USA, USA, United States of America, Union of South Africa. You know, this, <laughs> this, this historical settler colonial uh, fraternity mm -hmm. uh, between, these, uh, between these places. And so we've got to look at the way that the anomaly, the anomaly of settler colonization, in other words, the, the settler states that were set up in these countries have never been legitimate. They were never authorized by the indigenous peoples of all of these lands. These were European colonial militaries, Im imperialist economic systems that came in, that unified uh, these European colonial forces, dispossessed the majorities of the indigenous people. In many instances, like in the Western Hemisphere, where we live, exterminated 100 million indigenous people, as Leslie Soko, you were talking about, mentioned. In South Africa, it's very, very similar uh, in terms of, um, you know, the reason that South Africa is called a settler colonial republic is because the settlers, the white minority, has never been indigenous in terms of their history. Not only that, their culture the cultures that they brought and imposed on Azania, on the entire African continent, was alien. It was predatory. It was parasitic. It was capitalistic. It was hierarchical. It was male-centered. It mm -hmm. was anti-nature, mm -hmm. anti-human, exploitative. This is what these settlers have established and then consolidated themselves into, quote, republics union of white privilege. So now they have established, um, you know, these countries and saying South Africa, even today, it's officially called South Africa. It's not called Azania or Zania. See, and that's because they're recognizing the African National Congress, the so-called uh, black majority government, so-called <laughs> democratic government in South Africa, continues to recognize the illegitimacy of European settler colonization, colonialism, in Azania as the basis for the development of an independent African country. Like you were talking about Kwame Nkrumah, South Africa is not independent so long as you have the European settler minority owning the bulk of the land of South Africa. See, so the land continues to be held by the 10% white minority. And within that, the tiny ruling class, tiny white minority capitalist ruling class that has co-opted, you know, a few, a few uh, petty or bourgeois black folk, a few uh, black billionaires and millionaires and so forth to give legitimacy to the white minority settler colonial system and the capitalist economic. Uh, superstructure that, that uh, controlled South Africa. So this is not popular because uh, most people have been brainwashed, whitewashed, indoctrinated into, settler, into accepting European settler uh, colonialism as a fait accompli. Something that is there that can't be changed, can't be eradicated, can't be uprooted. So in the United States is a good classic example, right? We see the United States of America as being, quote, a legitimate settler colonial republic, even though the Indians had nothing to do with the establishment of this country, the indigenous people. Similar with Africa. Our, our people in Africa had nothing to do with the establishment of the South African entity. It is rooted in Eurocentric colonial identity. It is rooted in colonial fragmentation of indigenous Africans. And it is rooted in, in an economic system that has nothing to do with African history and African cultures and African people. It comes out of Eurocentric imperialism, the destruction of the earth and the destruction 
of all of the indigenous peoples of the world. And so that is why it's not popular because people have been brainwashed, you know, by have been sanitized, have been uh, kept high, anesthetized by this continued dosage of Eurocentric poison into their minds to the point that even our African people will say, you know, but don't talk about settler colon colonialism. When the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania talks about settler colonialism it's in its political platform or the black consciousness movement or the Azanian People's Organization, the Socialist Peoples of Azania, all these uh, black political formations talk about settler col colonialism. People say, no, that's anti-white. See, and we're going to alienate the white minority. So this is why, you know, it's not popular because it's the truth. And the settler colonialists and the imperialists, you know, they have a monopoly on propagating lies. They have the system. They control the media. They control the publishing houses. They control the whole world in terms of the economy, the military, the social cultures of the world. You know, Hollyweed, right? So this is how the world is. This is why we have come to be forced to colonize people. We're not conquered. We colonized because we still resist. We colonized in our mentality, in our culture, in our ways of being. And so we're forced as enslaved people today, as subjugated people held economic hostage at either, you know, gunpoint, Ferguson, Washington, D.C., New York, you know, Phoenix, Arizona. It's the same kind of thing. Black men being subject to. Uh, uh, assassination on non-black men being shot, open season on black folk. Same kind of system from colonialism. It's the same system of colonization that has taken its toll on the lives of black people. So it's not popular because that means you have to resist it. See, you have to resist it. That's why Malcolm X said, you know, it's the ballad or the bullet. All right. Um, y'all can see now why I like the book. As you can tell from the author, this is y'all, if you heard me, another podcast is kind of the same spirit here. And I just want to back, say, kind of reiterate what you said and 100% agree with you. It's not that you suffer racial discrimination over in America. This is colonization 101. When we sit up here and my name is James Stone, do I look like I'm related to the Queen of England? I don't look like, I don't think so, James Stone. And just like in Azania, Azania people, we're going to start saying Azania because that's the name, true name of our homeland down there. And we're going to get into later about the Berlin Conference and stuff like that. But I just wanted to reiterate, just like you said with the, with the, with the colonization, once you relinquish to say, Oh, you know, uh, whites, blacks and whites can be here. Yeah, whites, you can be here if you speak an African language, if you can contribute to the benefit of Africa. It's not about all this, like, this is colonization. Africa is not a Western uh, province. It's not an island, which is what Biko say. It's not a European island off somewhere, and, you know. No, it's African. If you're an American, if you're in America... And you black, you are African. You're not an African-American. We didn't start on no plantation, okay? We go back eons, eons. Um, that's all I want to add. Sorry, I know you was over there. You want to say anything? I'm, I just, I agree with everything he said. Like, you know, and a lot of people are so brainwashed that you'll, you, you'll talk about Africa. And the first thing they'll say is, what about the white people? And it's In like, South Africa, in Azania, yeah, yes. Yeah, and it's like, but the white people are invaders, you know, and everybody wants to protect their interests, even when, it, you know, it has, you know, they didn't, they're not even tied to it. You know what I mean? I've had people t say that to me and I'm like, it's ridiculous. You're not even tied to that. It's just like, like you said, some kind of brainwashing where that's the, that's the first, that's the first instinct that people have is to ask that question. Yeah. And, and, and Zari is, you know, the whole thing about, um, the way that we have been told that we are racist. Mm -hmm. Black people are racist, as you talked about, Zari. You know, this whole mythic ideological notion. The first thing is, we were talking about this at the National Council for Black Studies last week, where I 
uh, served on the board and did a couple of papers. And, and I said, black people can't be racist anywhere in this world. Now, say, oh, oh, yeah, you know, in Arizona, they jump up and say, you know, yes, black people can be racist. You know, people are saying, well, you've got white racism, you've got black racism, you know. <laughs> so I said, black people can't be racist because we don't have the collective economic, military, social, cultural power to inflict any of our prejudices either here or in Africa, mm. you know, or in Africa, because we have white supremacy in this world. Mm -hmm. That's why white people go to Africa, because they live like queens and kings. See, mm -hmm. you know, you don't really have poor white people in Africa. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because it reminds me of uh, Albert Mimi. Uh, the colonizer yes. and the, the colonizer and the colonizer when he said uh, yeah. they are mediocre lower than low trash in the in metropole the yeah. at home yeah. in the metro then when they go out you know then they go out into the settler colony they go to Algeria or wherever they go they kings and queens it's kind of just like you know they always trying to get them a black friend or something every now and then you know <laughs> and you know the black person being oh I got a white friend they so know so much they have long golden hair and stuff it's like man they're human beings just like you no 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 they drink the colder water coldest water in the world but you know and he said that when they you know when they when they talk about and romanticize Europe but they stay in Africa you know yes. what I mean they they left Europe because they weren't anything but then when they come to Africa oh Europe is this and that it's the same in America <laughs> it's the same in America too because uh -huh. my grandmother's Swedish and da 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 and we came over here and I say um, and then they say oh yeah but I'm not relinquishing America you know what I'm saying and then they always talking about what they're giving the indigenous people Giving the <laughs> yeah. indigenous. Well, we gave, you know, well, they traded, they given. When did they relinquish Turtle Island? No, I know. And, and, and this is because we have been brainwashed into believing white supremacy is normal in the world. And that what white supremacy has done in the world has been good for the world. Quote, civilization. You know. Uh, because I, I said la last week, we were, just, we were laughing about this at the conference too. And I said, if this is what civilization is, then I'm a barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I want to be de-civilized. <laughs> Holes be de in the ozone layer and stuff. I mean. Because I want nothing to do with this genocide. Yeah. And so this is not about being anti-white. I am not anti-human. I'm not anti-any people. But I am anti-white supremacy. I'm anti-exploitation, and I'm anti-anti-human. Right. <laughs> okay? So if you begin to set up a system of white supremacy in the world, and you destroy everything from the trees and the birds and the insects to the children and the elders and women with poison of AIDS and disease, and chattel slavery, and impoverished wages, and dispossessing peoples of lands, and forcing people to go into, into mines three, four miles down into the earth, and have them suffer from uh, asbestosis, and uh, all kinds of respiratory diseases, and kill them. And I'm against the system that produced that. Every human being ought to be against that. That's white supremacy. That's how it was established. See? It's funny you mentioned uh, the mines and asbestos coming up with the next question because, Zari, I know you want to you, you want to get into the material materialist aspects of yeah. settler colonialism mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, they just do it to us because we're black. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm black. Go ahead, Zari, ask your question. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, because people believe that apartheid was, you know, Europeans just one day got up and said, oh, my God, I hate Africans. You know, like they just woke up one day and it, and it came into their mind. But that doesn't give you a good a good analysis of of what apartheid is, why white supremacy exists and the motivation and incentive behind settler colonialism. So. You know, as conscious people, we know that Europe had contradictions in their own culture that they still haven't resolved and they like to put on us. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. and that's a lot of it is because of a lack of resources, you know. 
could you talk about the economic basis behind Europe's initial invasion into South Africa? Azania? Azania? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Jan van Riebeko, that's how you say yeah, yeah, it's Dutch. It's Dutch. And yes. again, you know, yeah. they, you see their languages, you know, mm-hmm. uh, English is an aristocratic imperialist language. Yes. And so we have been forced, all of us, and that's why I said, you know, for Africans in this country, Indians call it Abyayala, Turtle Island from the Iroquois story. You know, United States is a settler colonial entity. And so when you look at the way that we have been forced, african American. What is that? American is the antithesis of African. I'm calm. See? You see? (laughs) So we have to look at the foundations of identity. When the Africans were taken, kidnapped, forced against their will to come here, you know, when those those, uh, uh, so-called African leaders participated and were bribed, into selling Africans, you know, brainwashed and given all these crazy things, just like today, same system, mm-hmm. petty bourgeoisie. So, you know, this is a, a, a direct continuation of the same system. The, the Africans jumped off the ships. You know, women jumped off the ships with their little babies because they didn't want to be thrown into slavery. But the ancestors never left the African people. See? Even till today, I mean, what we call African culture, quote, African-American culture, is nothing but the ancestors continuing to remind us that our voices, our spirits, our ways of thinking, our ways of seeing, you know, our ways of uh, living together and sharing and eating together, go back to our ancestral roots. The ancestors never, ever left us. America signified the evisceration, the, you know, cultural destruction, annihilation of our roots to Africa. That's why you'll see that in the film Sankofa, you know. So when you look at, at uh, the economic basis and, and the, the whole, the, the, the racism around blackness, you know, the racism around blackness and this whole history. And America, United States of America, uh, white supremacy, white settler colonialism had a lot to do with this ideology. Africa being, quote, a jungle. Africa being, quote, a dark continent. Africa being, quote, a continent of savages, you know, of barbarism, of um, perpetual wars and destruction, chaos. Okay, and so then Europeans say, well, the Africans were always uncivilized, you know, as uh, what's his name, uh, Bill Connor used to say in the South, you know, the best thing that happened to the Negro in America was that we took him out barbarism and, you know, savagery in Africa and we brought him into slavery and civilization. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, this was in the, in the heat during the civil rights movement. You know, this, but these are the myths that were built up, that Africans come out of a history of slavery. That's why names were taken away. Yes, the right to worship, the right to be uh, connected to your ancestors, to keep your ancestral name, your language. Most importantly, they cut it up. Oh, you got black people named Washington, right? <laughs> I'm proud of it too. I'm proud of black people named Jefferson. You know, down the list, and you can go on and on and on. You know, French names, British names, German names, and so forth, because that's the process of removing people from our cultural histories, our ancestral heritage, our roots, then you use the notion of blackness. And you build this whole thing. Obama is a black president, right? So you say now black people have, quote, what? Power, right? So you begin, you know, you got Nelson Mandela there. You got Tabo Mbeki. You know, you got these icons and say, well, you know, you, you blacks are complaining out there. You know, you black people are... Always complaining, always discontent. Now we gave you a black president, we gave you your country, you gave you independence. They gave us. So can't get it together. So they've always used blackness as the basis to cover up what? Their real convoluted, pathological, inhuman, alien ideology. Okay, which is about like a vampire 
sucking the blood of the people, stripping the land of her natural power and resources, the economics of capitalism, predatory, parasitic, extraction, confiscation of the value of the land. Okay, And then, so, you begin to use race as the basis for this. Use color to say, well, you know, just like when they said, oh, there's three major races, you know, uh, there's, there's Caucasoid, you know, there's Negroid, and there's Mongoloid. You know, same kind of nonsense being propagated all over the world today, you know, and, and people buy into this myth, you know, even the Chinese buy into this myth because they want to be a part of this whole uh, globalization capitalist system, you know, they all want to uh, have shares in the whole thing. So this whole thing about race itself needs to be demystified because we're all part of the same human race. Right. We're all part of the same human race. We come out of the same root. In fact, Africa is the root, you know, the oldest continent of the world. So when you look at this whole basis, the real, the real root, okay, the real reason for the Europeans going into Africa in general is because when you read Kirkpatrick Sales, The Conquest of Paradise, it'll tell you what happened in Europe. They were, by the 14th century, they had destroyed most of their resources. Right. The trees, they had no wealth. See, there was no such thing as Europe for one in that time period. <laughs> what did Europe have? It had nothing. Ice. They had feudalism, exploitation of women and children, aristocracy, yes. you know? So they were breeding this incestuous aristocratic, aristocratic classes that would subjugate the majority of the people as systems of exploitation. There were no, quote, natural resources in Europe. Nothing. In Germany, in Britain, in France. Nothing. Okay? So Africa was the place that they knew from way, way back because of their trade. They were trading with Africans, and Africans were trading with Europe and China and the Americas and so forth, you know, booming trade. They knew, knew that there was gold. They knew that there were all kinds of resources, cotton and, you know, corn and wheat and coffee and all that kind of thing. I mean, you know, coffee coming from Ethiopia, that's where the origins are, right? Mm -hmm. So, they, 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 you know, they knew that Africa was a, a, a wealthy continent. So what you have to do is you have to pull the wool over people's eyes and say, now you want those resources. Then you say, the problem is there are people living there. So what you do is you say the people are uncivilized. The people are stupid. They don't have a mental faculties to figure out things. Their cultures are all backward, primitive. You've got the anthropologists, you've got the colonizers, you've got the missionaries, you've got religion, uh, so-called academic anthropology, and you've got the military, the colonization. Then you bring the corporations in, see, together the economics of it. But the root is extraction, is extraction. And so you need to delegitimate the humanity of African people by using this notion of blackness as the race. In fact, I'm going to do another book with uh, some colleagues, hopefully, you know, if we all live for the next few years, the, the fear of blackness, the fear of blackness. We're talking about that at the conference in L.A. because this whole thing about negativity associated with blackness covering this thing up, covering, covering the notion. This is our physical pigmentation, you know, based on our history and where we are living. This is part of the creator's design. As Steve Biko said, you know, it's the creator created as black. It's right. Black is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with blackness. There's nothing deficient with blackness. But you begin to use that and propagate that till uh, March 21st, 2015. Continue to mm. take this nonsense while concealing the real reason, which is the rape of the diamonds, the gold, the vanadium, the platinum, the zinc, the water, the wheat, the corn, the sugar, right? The rape of Azania and the rape of Africa. You conceal that and you continue to loot the Africans like looting Sierra Leone of diamonds, mm. looting Liberia of rubber. Rudy, uh, looting the Congo of uh, coltan and uh, vanadium and columbine and tantalium and zinc, you know, 
looting and then so calling the Africans barbarians, killing each other. You see, the ideology is very successful. Eurocentric white supremacy ideology, capitalism at its root, predatory, just extracting. So that is why we have got to see the real roots. South Africa as it exists is a settler colonial outpost of white supremacy of, quote, Europe with capitalism as the economic system, racism as the philosophy to justify white supremacy, even though you've got black managers, even black billionaires. It's white supremacy controlling the whole economic system of South Africa, of Africa and the world, the same people. Through the fall of the entire hall 
You know, books like yours are so important. If you only knew what we really lost, and another reason why books like yours are so important is because it makes no um, distinction between the continental African and the African who finds themselves that they are some kind of physiological transmogrifications like they are gremlin today, chicken after midnight and nothing. We the same people, and that's the problem we got on the continent. Court of all, some people think they French. You know oh, yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. so, I ain't no African. I'm a Frenchman. Yeah. Why, why we, we, we? And we over here. I'm an African-American. I came with George Washington. <laughs> I don't know what. They don't know. Sally Hemmings. They don't know. We don't know what we over here. I know what I am. Shoot. But I, I just want to move on to the next question. I'm, we gonna be, The next question, um, when people look at South Africa, Azania, Azania today, you know, the Western media portrays it as a place of racial harmony. And the personification of this of is of the late Nelson Mandela, who I like to assign the adjective to of of avuncular. Whenever I think of Nelson Mandela, he's very avuncular, um, very happy Negroish. I mean, I'm sorry, and I can just recall from the book, you, you know, one of the things Nelson Mandela said. Soon as he got fresh out on bail, out of jail from Robin Island, page one sixty two of your phenomenal book, Nelson Mandela said, "We wanted to make white people feel safe." He just got out of jail, y'all. He wanted to make white people feel safe. And he said he appreciated the contribution and developments they, the white folks made to the country. I, I, now, you know that's some trouble right there when somebody get out of jail. And then the first thing he said, and he also said, I'm against black, white exploitation and black exploitation. Hell, yeah. I was like, what the hell is you? T- Nigga, you just got it. Anyway. Why are all these contributions what? putting us? All right, at this point in the recording, we experienced some technical difficulties. The last part you heard was Zari making the comment with all the contributions they keep giving us, how come the cute contributions always end up putting us in jail? And Julian began to answer my question by starting to talk about Chuenzu's book, The West and the Rest of Us, White Predators, Black Slavers, and the African Elite. So when we pick back up, he's going to start off with Chuenzu's book, answering the question I just asked. Yeah, we're good now. Okay. Chinwezu, I'm sorry. Yes, Chinwezu, the West and the rest of us. And, you know, the subtitle is a bit heavy. Um, predators and... <laughs> white predators, black slavers, and the, uh, the African elite. And uh, people don't like to read that book because, you know, the, the title is heavy. And the, the book is even heavier than the title. <laughs> Because it's really talking about how this world came about. And so when you look at a situation like, you know, this neocolonialism, colonialism of the 21st century, we, you know, I mean, even Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, nobody surrenders freedom. In other words, nobody can give an oppressed people their freedom. The oppressor, the colonizer, can't give the colonized their freedom. The colonized has to take it from the colonizer. Right? Franz Fanon, Memi, Cesaire, you go, Walter Rodney, same, all, you know, Sojourner Truth. I mean, you have to take your freedom. That's right. You have to struggle for it. So when you look at the way that Nelson Mandela, you know, right in the aftermath of his um, release from uh, prison uh, after 27 years of incarceration, talking about, you know, appreciating um, what the white minority has done, this was for consumption by capital the capitalist system. In other words, this was to reassure the entire white supremacist capitalist system in the world that their, quote, investments in South Africa were going to be safe for a long time. See, no care about the people. You know, and it's kind of an irony when you're talking about South Africa being a haven, 
you know, the quote, Rainbow Nation. <laughs> black and white living together in, you know, this beautiful heavenly celestial sphere. I mean, goodness. You know, when you look at, when you look at the reality of how black people live in South Africa today, I mean, it is such a, it is so spiritually outrageous. It is so culturally shameful. And I'm saying this as somebody who knows the land and who's been there many, many times. And it's just shocking that we can have Africans living in a country like that today. You know, living in these huge townships, oftentimes the bulk of which are uh, uh, resemble slums. You know, people living in shacks. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. You know, children living on the street, thousands of children living on the street, homeless in our own homeland. You know, even today, in 2015, and then these, I mean, these folks talking about racial harmony in the country, mm. harmony for the gold mines, but even there, you know, we know that the people who work, who make South Africa so wealthy, are the brothers who go deep down into the mines every single day and who are protesting, you know, and who were demanding a livable wage. I mean, these are the brothers, these are the African people that keep Azania so wealthy, who don't have their wives with them, don't right. have their children with them. Living in these overcrowded sex hostels. Hostels, you talk about that, yes. See? So when you look at this, you see, this is where the propaganda machine is working 24-7 all the time, constantly turning in our minds and propagating this image of, quote, racial harmony. South Africa had the most peaceful democratic elections ever. One man, one vote. Concealing, pardon? One man, one vote. One man, one vote. Concealing the reality of colonization, which is occupation by a white settler colonial minority, occupation by the large transnational corporations which have nothing to do with Africa, the mining companies, bondmen, Anglo-American, Rio Tinto Zinc, PHB Billiton, you know, um, um, Ashanti Gold, Consolidated Gold Fields, all these European operations that are looting the African continent, Azania in particular, the Congo too. So neocolonialism is the system under which we live today. Right. In other words, we think we are free. We think we're independent. We think we're living in a democratic nation, right? That's right. Democracy. We can vote. We used to be colonized, but we, we thank God we're free, you know, free at last. Right? <laughs> thank God Almighty we're free at last. <laughs> so when you look at this whole notion of, quote, freedom, neocolonialism works 24-7 in concealing our conditions of perpetual economic colonization, subjugation, servitude, domination, right? So it's a deep, deeply entrenched ideology that makes us believe something else, that pulls the wool over our eyes, that, that feeds us with the poison, injects us with the drug, illusory drug, right? That we are now, we have been accorded the right of self-determination. We're free to, 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 to determine our own destiny, right? We're free to determine our own destiny because we have power. We have black power. We have economic power. We control. Neocolonialism is the stage, is the process today, which imperialism, as Kwame Nkrumah so brilliantly talked about in his book, uh, Neocolonial. The Colonial, last stage. Right? The last stage of imperialism. See, because he understood what was going to happen. The fact that you had these black managers, Madiba, Nelson Mandela, <laughs> Jacob Zuma, you know, it doesn't matter. You just change the figures. 
You use these charismatic Obama. Mm. You know, he has an African name. See, <laughs> and, and, and that's the whole thing that goes with the mix. It's good to have an African name and good to have an African name in the White House. Think about it. <laughs> Why would they have an African name in the White House? Mm-hmm. Unless you can milk the capitalist cow. Mm. See, until the cows come home. Because <laughs> you use that as the basis to continue to do what you are doing more efficiently and more securely under, quote, a black president, whether it's Madiba, Mandela, or Obama. But you continue to do the same things in terms of war, in terms of extraction, in terms of exploitation of workers and women and everything. You're engaging in the same processes. And most importantly, you don't even know that you're colonized under neocolonialism because you still have the Eurocentric curriculum operating. That's, that's the, yeah. You still have the same standards in education, English as the lingua franca, mm. or Afrikaans as the lingua franca of schools, and you have the same competitive Eurocentric educational curriculum operating in an African country. So you're colonized. Your aspirations are still Europe. Mm-hmm. Aspirations are what uh, belong to the citadels of white supremacy, materialism, exploitation, a bigger house, a bigger car, mm-hmm. right? All these material things that have come about through slavery. So you still aspire to get those things, but you say that you're free. You don't know you're colonized. That's the, that's the, 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 de- the devil genius, the evil of neocolonialism. And that is why we as black people, we as colonized people, need to understand how nefarious the system is, how convoluted, how perverted, how pathological it is in the way that it psychologically operates on our minds and, you know, on our spirits and denudes the energy of our children because they're working on our children from day one. They sure are. To colonize our children into making them believe that they're something else than they, who they really are as African people and making them feel ashamed of Africanity, mm-hmm. of Africanity, of blackness. See? And so to embrace this petty bourgeois form of blackness, you talked about the African Union, that kind of thing, you know, all this bourgeois form of black middle-class identity, you know, uh, which plays the role of manager beneficiary from exploitation. I just saw a documentary on Amazon, something something called The Myth of the Rainbow Nation or something, and it talks about Zuma and Becky, and then it kind of goes into Chris Hani. And on our our website, we actually have one of the last interviews uh, with Chris Hani. But a lot of people talk about, just like they always talk about with Obama, you know, Obama is not fulfilling what he said on his campaign trail. Obama said, I'm a capitalist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do my thing. He never said nothing. I, I, I'm going to do this. You're the one who projected this progressive, and I don't even know what Africans mean when they say progressive. progressive I'm progressive. Right. What does that mean? Well, you for yourself? Are you idiot? But anyway, <laughs> but when I look at the, uh, like one of the critics, like when you, the people say, they just not following the Freedom Charter. Well, you gave a good corrective to the Freedom Charter. Why don't you talk about what the Freedom Charter, what type of freedom it really was? And related to what we was talking about, neocolonialism. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, the, this whole thing about the Freedom Charter and the Rainbow Nation. Um, and, and, and this is, you know, it's... it's I mean, th- these are... I mean, it's amazing to see how the United States um, continues to have a bearing on South Africa. You know, it's just... I mean, they even have a talk about affirmative action there, you know. And so... This whole thing about the Freedom Charter says the first thing is South Africa belongs to all who live in it, black and white. <laughs> okay? And that's the basis for it. And then it draw, it's, it's a blueprint sort of, of a democratic nation, sort of like the U.S. Constitution in some sense. And we know how strong the U.S. Constitution <laughs> is in terms of protecting anybody's rights, let alone black people or indigenous mm-hmm. people's rights in this country. So... You know, when you, look at, when you look at the Freedom Charter as the basis for the African National Congress, the ruling party in South Africa, it is very clear that there, can, there is no real program of economic justice 
particularly in issues of land, because when we talk economy, we have to talk land. See, it's not just money. Right. We've got, you know, you got a million dollars in the bank, and you know, you spend it next week. You're on the street. <laughs> right. That's right. Okay. You own a house, but the bank really owns the house because you're paying the mortgage. Mm-hmm. You don't even own the land on which the house is. So, and, and this is this is why it's so important for all of us to understand when we're talking about, you know, when we're talking about uh, South Africa belonging to all who live in it, and uh, the basis of the Freedom Charter from that gathering in Cliptown in 1955. It is a romanticized notion based on, quote, this rainbow nation. You know, um, it's, you know, as one of the brothers from Kenya was saying, I, I mentioned this in my, in my forthcoming book, you know, he says there's, quote, two, um, quote, tribes. We, we say there's two people. There's two, there's, you know, there's two classes. There's two races in South Africa, and that is the rich and the poor, you know. And the rich are principally white, overwhelmingly white, and the poor are entirely black. Mm-hmm. See, so one has to look at the stark contradictions that emerge out of the basis of the Freedom Charter, which says that the white minority has a legitimate ownership of the land. Yes. That is how they continue to monopolize ownership of the land based on the Freedom Charter. The other question you have to look at is the mines. That's why this whole thing about, you know, the, um, uh, the Freedom Fighter Party, the Freedom Fighters in South Africa, led by Julius Malema, there's been this whole, you know, lambasting of Malema because uh, the party says um, South African mines should be owned by the people, by the black people. Yes. You know, it should be nationalized, it should be owned by the people. and the problem is that runs against the grain of the Freedom Charter because it says it's a free country, f- quote, free market, freedom of opportunity. Okay? All of these things fall under the auspices of the Freedom Charter. So, and this is why people have to be really smart. You have to be really analytical and understand that these are all ideological ploys. You know, um, that maintain, um, that maintain the same economic structures. In other words, the Freedom Charter essentially provides for an expansion, an inclusion of black people within the former white supremacist apartheid system. It's an extension of the apartheid charter in some sense, in some sense, because it's saying we all are equal, Everybody's equal in South Africa. Everybody has equal rights in South Africa. But the land belongs to everybody, to black and white. Yes. Whereas the white people acquired the land, forcibly dispossessed three and a half million people, you know, through wars of attrition, uh, wars of genocide, wars of extermination, subjugation, and conquest. And so those contradictions can never be dealt with in the Freedom Charter. Okay, everybody, that's where we're leaving it for now. But if you want to finish listening to this interview, you already know what to do. If you want to listen to it in its entirety, go to conscientization101.com or c101magazine.com and subscribe today. And if you subscribe today, you will not only have access to this interview in its entirety, but you will have access to all of C101's interviews which are hot fire, by the way. Okay, you don't want to miss it. Like, you don't want to just listen to the podcast and be like, oh, I got it. You know, no, because you're going to miss a whole lot if you don't get the entire interview. Okay, so just go in to the website, check out the subscription benefits, look at the full details, you know, and check it out. Consider it. Cool. Another thing, you'll be supporting 100% independent media. Okay, I don't, you know, we always say the media, you know, wants to spin things and blah 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 so let's support independent media so we can continue doing this and we can continue to provide the real information that's not in la la land okay 
So, <laughs> this episode has featured sounds from Akala. And that is his song, Get Educated, from Knowledge is Power Mixtape Volume 1. We also featured music from Chairman Math. That is Math, M-A-F, as in full, fence, feature. <laughs> F as I was trying to say F as in feather his song Still Water from his Dusted EP and we featured more music from Akala the song is Fall of the Empire featuring Amy True from his album Knowledge is Power Volume 2 don't forget to check us out on Twitter we always say this so go ahead check us out on Twitter at Conscien1 C-O-N S-C-I-E-N-1 on Facebook at Conscientization 101 and Instagram at C101 Editors and we want to thank Julian Cooney very much for his time Um, we really enjoy talking with you and that's it that's a wrap Feel nothing, be still.